Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Well, good morning, Mercy uh, Providence Road. You guys doing all right? Good, good. Uh, welcome to those that are also listening online. Uh, I'm glad to be here with y'all today. Uh, we're going to be inside First Samuel 7. We've got a lot of ground uh, to cover, so if you can, open your Bibles to First Samuel 7. Um, and as you guys do that, I'm going to pray over us. Cool? Cool, cool. Um, Lord, Lord, I'm grateful to be standing um, in front of your people, presenting your word. Um, Lord, the reality that you've given us your word to hear, to read, to respond is all grace. So Lord, help us, help us to, to digest what you have for us today. Lord, help us to, to see the greatness of your love for us, but also help us to see the magnitude of what it took for, for that to happen. So, Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Oh, God, and our Redeemer, to whom we trust. With that in mind, we thank you, Lord. Say that in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Y'all, so today's sermon is going to be about this idea of remembering. As humans, we are conditioned to hold on to the bad and negative memories, right? Uh, we, we are prone to forget the good memories in our life, and we are prone to remember the bad. So we rehearse those negative comments, those negative thoughts. We remember those moments of shame and those moments of regret. We remember the embarrassment. We remember the guilt. We can't help but remember the bad things that go on in our lives. So y'all, in 1 Samuel 7, what we're going to see with Israel is that they can't help but remember all the bad things going on inside their lives. Y'all, they're inside this this dark night of the soul. You, You see, the glory of God has departed from Israel because the ark was taken the, the priest, Eli, he, was, he, he died. He fell over in the chair, and he literally died. Then his sons were dead. And it seems as though all hope was lost for Israel. They were in brokenness, in despair. They couldn't help but remember all the bad things in their lives. But, y'all, there is good news. What we're going to see from our text today, that that brokenness, despair, helplessness is not the end of their story. And hopefully for y'all in this room that you will see that it's not the end of your story. I know that some of us right now, you are beaten up by what's going on inside your life. You're beaten up by the cancer, your family, your responsibilities, your sin, and all you can remember is all the pain that you're experiencing. 
And family, there's good news. It ain't over until the Lord says that it's over. God has a word for us to today. Um, what we are going to see is that, is that God in his grace, he's, he's go, he redeems our past. He gives us peace in the presence. And he gives us hope for the future. So that's the main idea for our text today. Uh, when we remember God's grace in our lives, where we're going to see that he redeems our past, and that, that, he, that we have a victory for us in the present, and there's hope for the future. So that's the outline of our sermon today, and the title of our sermon is called, When You Can't Help But Remember. With that in line, let's dive into um, um, verse 1, chapter 7, 1 Samuel, verse 1. It says, so the people of God... So the people of Kiriath-Jerun came to the ark of the Lord and took it to Abimelech's house on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eleazar to take care of it. All right, so we are um, back in 1 Samuel, as we've been talking about. And y'all, in the ark of the covenant, um, it, it was sent off, well, it was taken away by the Philistines. They, they defeated the, Israels, um, the Israelites, but they were having a lot of problems with the ark. And so they're like, you know what? We're going to return this thing because, like, it's, it's causing us all kinds of problems. And so, so they took it back to Israel. But Israel, they didn't have a lot of good experiences with the ark. They experienced defeat. They experienced silence from the Lord. They experienced a lot of these bad memories. So they, took, so they decided to take the ark, but place it outside of their city so they don't have to deal with it. So they placed it inside the city called Kiriath Jerum, and it was taken care of by Eleazar. What we need to see here is that the ark of God is in the wrong place, and it's handled by, by the wrong person. But as we read into the text, as, as, as we, a good Bible scholar should, what we can gather here is that Israel is wallowing in their defeat in despair. Y'all, the ark reminded them of shame. It reminded them of guilt that they weren't getting right with the Lord. It reminded them of their brokenness. Y'all, there were people killed because of their disobedience. It reminded them of fear. See, the memories of yesteryears, that it caused a lot of hesitancy for them to want to be in the presence of God. Y'all, the ark brought negative memories, negative thoughts. And if we're honest... We all have those same negative thoughts and memories. We have no problems remembering the faces, the spaces, and the places of our brokenness and our sin. We remember our failures. We remember our insecurities. We remember our regrets. We remember our hurts and those of whom we have hurt. Y'all, we can't help but remember the bad things going on in our lives. And Israel couldn't either. Verse 2. Time went by until 20 years had passed since the ark has been taken to carry off the room. Then the whole house of Israel longed for the Lord. So we're seeing something turn here. We, um, there's been 20 years since the ark has, has returned to Israel. Remember, it was in carry off Jerome. But, but then they began to long for the Lord. This is what, what I call um, the stirring up, this moment that happens in the life of the believer to where the Lord begins to stir something up in you. 
Whether you're inside that pain or whether you are inside that grief, the Lord begins to stir something in you. And and, and what is happening is that you can no longer ignore what's going on. You can't ignore that bad memory. You can't ignore that grief. You can't ignore that trauma. You can't ignore that sin. And the Lord was doing this for Israel. And he, he might be doing this for you right now. God is intervening in their soul to redeem their past. They were longing for God, and you are too. You know, I can can just imagine, I can just imagine the condition of some of the Jews um, um, beforehand. You know, they were the the people who did all the right things, you know. They went to church or they went to uh, the the, the tabernacle. They they said all the right things. They did all the right things. They even looked like they had big, big faith. But in all reality, they were living a big lie. They were deep in sin. Ridden with despair. But God and his grace began to stir something up. So how about you? What is the Lord stirring up in you right now? What is he doing in your soul? What is in your heart? Maybe it's that anger. Maybe it's that guilt. Maybe it's that sin that he is stirring up in you right now that you know you need to give, give over to him. What change is he calling you to make in your life right now? What is it? Is he calling you to move out of your girlfriend and boyfriend's house? Is he calling you to go confess some sin? What is he calling you to? You know, we're in this moment right now to where we're asking God in in our 310 prayers. Every day at 310, we're asking Lord to speak, Lord, your servant is listening. What is God saying to you right now? What is he speaking to you in that 310 prayer? So what I want you to do is let's take a few moments and just think about this. What is he speaking to you? All right. But as we know, it's not enough just to think about our sin and our brokenness. We got to do something with it, right? Let's look at verse two. Samuel told them, if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, get rid of the foreign gods and the asterisks that are among you. Set your heart on the Lord and worship him only. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So um, to catch us back up, Samuel, who is a, a prophet and a judge for Israel, he was absent in chapters four through six because Israel was in so much despair and so deep in their sin that they couldn't hear from a prophet. They couldn't hear from God. But what we saw just a little bit ago, that God began to stir some things up in their soul. And Samuel hops upon the scene and he, and he tells them, he, he says, if you want to return to God, get rid of your idols. He doesn't say, go back to war with, with the Philistines. He doesn't say, go grab the ark. He doesn't say to go, go try to clean something up in your life. He says to go get rid of your idols. Set your heart upon the Lord and worship him only. Y'all, this language right here that Samuel is speaking to the Israelites is a language of repentance. And y'all, this idea of repentance is the way 
to how God redeems our past. Which brings me to my first point. To remember God's grace in our lives, we need to see that repentance is how the Lord redeems our past. For those that are new to the church, you need to know that repentance is a gift that is given by God. You can't muster up um, repentance within yourself. Practically, repentance is an act of turning away from your sin and your brokenness and is turning to God in actual faith. Y'all, there are two parts of repentance, and we're going to see this inside verse 3. Let's look at it. It says, if you return to the Lord with your heart, y'all, that is the inward part of repentance. You see, um, circle that word in your Bible, heart. Y'all, the heart is the thing that, that motivates us. It is our eternal, it is our eternal thoughts. It is where our desires and motivations are. The heart is where the inward stuff is. It is the stuff that the the Lord is stirring up within you. It's the stuff that nobody is seeing inside of you, but you and the Lord. It is that stuff that's causing you to lose your temper with your children. It is that stuff for you that's causing you to get angry and jealous of your coworkers. It is that stuff that is driving your, your greed. It is that stuff that's causing you to look at porn. It is the stuff that's causing you to push down that trauma. It is that stuff that's causing you to hide that affair, that inward stuff. But Samuel tells them, it's not enough, it's not enough just, to, just to, to, to look at the inward, but obedience has both hands and feet. And that's the outward stuff. Let's look at verse 3 again. It says, get rid of the foreign idols and asterisks that are among you. Y'all, so, the Israel, so it says, so the Israelites removed the bells and the asterisks and, worshiped, um, and only worshiped the Lord. And Samuel said, gather all of Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord on your behalf. And when they gathered at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out in the Lord's presence. They fasted that day, and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the Israelites at, Isma, at Mizpah. So after he tells them, hey, you need to go check your heart, he says, you need to condition your body for action. So, so he tells me, he says, get rid of the bells and asterisks. So they did. They got rid of the bells and asterisks, and then and then they drew um, then they drew some water, and then they they poured it out, and then they fasted, and then they confessed to the Lord of their sins. These were these are all the outward realities of repentance. And if we can look a little bit into the text, I I would guess that fasting and praying wasn't hard for Israel, right? We all do those things, or should do those do those things, right? As believers. But I can imagine getting rid of the idols. Boy, that was painful. You see, if, anything, if we know anything about idols, what they offer us is security, affection, protection, and comfort. And these idols generally offer something that only God can provide. But like Israel, they haven't experienced the grace of God in a while. So they were looking to their idols to fix the brokenness within their soul. So I can imagine 
in this crisis of moment, this crisis right now, to where they're longing for God, they're longing to return to the Lord, and they hear this reality, turn from your idols. They're having a crisis of the soul. And maybe that's you right now. You're having a crisis of the soul because, because the thing that, that God is calling you to, to, to lose grip of, it's going to cause you some out-of-body experience because you don't know how to, how, how to move on with life with, without that thing, right? You see, the, the, the idols for Israel was, was Baal. And so, and so Baal is, is, is the god of, of, of the crops. And so, so the, the significance here was that, that Baal offered Israel money in security. Baal offered them financial status because we to, to know a little bit about Israel is that Israel was an agricultural society and they made their money by farming the land. That they didn't have all the, all the crazy technology and all the things to, to manufacture water and to get the, the soil to, to, to look right. They needed something to help them to get their, their land to look right. So, so they turned to Baal. Because, because, because Baal provided them successful farming. I, I, can, I can imagine that, that whenever a Jewish man would go to Baal, um, he was not thinking about, man, I love me some, some Baal. Because Baal was just a statue. What he was really thinking, I love money. Then we have the Asherites, who is the female goddess of sex infertility. Uh, when Israel, when they, were, when they were experiencing all of this brokenness, all of this grief, they were looking for a release. So they went to, so they prayed to Asterisk to, so they could, they could have better, better sexual experiences so they can numb their pain. They, they, wanted to, they wanted to feel something other than the pain that they were feeling. So they prayed to Asterisk to give them something to give them intimacy, to give them love. Does it sound familiar, church? How are we turning to sexual experiences, whether that's porn, whether that's with a partner that's not our, our spouse, or maybe, in fact, it is our spouse. Married folks, sex is meant to, to serve the others, not you. How are you, how are you turning to that? to give you fulfillment that only the Lord can give. Y'all, we don't have Baal. We don't have Asherahs. Y'all, we do have, have idols. And some idols are obvious, but most often, idols are sneaky. They're, they are often the good things that we turn into ultimate things. For a definition, an idol is anything that, that robs you of your affections for Jesus. If you're unsure what an idol is for you. I want to propose these two questions. What is ruling your heart right now more than Jesus? And how is your idol trying to provide for only what Jesus can provide? I'm going to say that again for the note takers. What is ruling your heart right now more than Jesus? And how is your idol trying to provide um, something for you only Jesus can give? You see, Jesus gives power. He gives comfort. He gives security. He gives us control. And if you look to your idol to give you any of those things, they won't never measure up. 
you're always going to go back to it to give you this fix that it can never provide. Y'all, but thank God in his grace that he calls us to repentance. Because when we repent, we turn from our idols and we turn to God, we get Jesus. We get Jesus. So God in his grace gave us this means of repentance. So therefore, we can acknowledge our sin. We can confess our sins and we can turn to God. And y'all, and when we repent, the Lord will give you more grace. He will give you new memories from your past, and he will give you a new victory to remember him in this present life. Y'all, the means of repentance is how the Lord redeems your story. It's how he he redeems it. There's no other way around it. So I want to call you brother and sister. How are you repenting before the Lord? We got to keep moving. But as we return to our text, we're, we're going to see something interesting that happens as, as he tells them to turn from the idols. Uh, verse, verse 7, it says, uh, when, when, the Philistines heard, um, when the Philistines heard that the Israelites had gathered at Mizpah, the rulers marched up towards Israel. The Israelites said to Samuel, don't stop crying out to the Lord for our God for us so that he will save us from the, from the Philistines. So what we see in this text is that, is that the Philistines saw that Israel was getting right with their Lord. Um, they turned from their idols. They, 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 were, they, were, they, were, they were desperate before the Lord, and they did not like that. Because here's something that the Philistines knew, something that you need to know, is that the God of this universe is on the side of his people. And for, and for the Philistines, something bad always happens to them whenever God gets right with his people. Because they were going to have to be confronted with their brokenness. They are going to be confronted with their shame. And that they didn't like that. So, so they made an attack to go get after Israel. So Israel cried out to the Lord. But I can just imagine their emotional state. They have just been defeated by the Philistines. They were in brokenness, in, in despair. And, and they were just returning back to the Lord there was another bad memory coming their way, another painful moment, another trauma, another battle. They repented before the Lord. They got right with God, but the enemy is attacking them more than ever. Maybe this is you. Maybe you were new to the faith, or you recently returned to the Lord, or you recently got back into this church thing, and you're feeling the attack of the enemy ever like before. And you're, you're discouraged. You're like, you know what, God, I, I, thought, I thought that turning to you, that things were going to be easier. But it seems as though things are much harder. You might say to yourself, you know what, instead of like actually fighting to God to intervene, I'm just going to go back to, to my sin. I'll go back to the ways of what I was doing because it is much easier to do those things than to walk by God in faith. But family, I want to encourage you is that that, that if Satan is attacking you, that means that God is on your side. That that means that that, that if if Satan is attacking you, that is a good thing because it's showing that God is doing something within you. So don't give up. 
Those who recently came to the Lord, don't give up. We, we, the, the attack of the enemy is coming towards you. But God has something better for us. Let's look at verse 9. It says, The Samuel took a young lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering um, to the Lord. And he cried out to the Lord on behalf of Israel, and the Lord answered him. Samuel was offering the burnt offering as the Philistines approached to fight against Israel. The Lord thundered loudly against the Philistines that day and drew them into confusion. They were defeated by, by Israel, and then the men of Israel charged out of Mizpah, pursued the Philistines, striking them down all the ways, uh, all the way to a place called Bethkar. So Israel, in this moment of vulnerability, in this moment of weakness, they could have turned back to their sin, but they cried out to the Lord. And when he did, the Lord slayed their enemy. Y'all, the Lord slayed their enemy. And how, how did he do this? Look at the text. It says that, that Samuel took a young lamb. Samuel, their prophet and their judge, took this young, innocent lamb. He took this lamb and he cut the lamb's throat, cut up his body. He poured out this lamb's blood and he sacrificed this lamb's body. And as this was happening, the Lord thundered from heaven confusing the Philistines, and they were defeated by the Israelites. According to verse 7, as we see that Israel was in this posture of weakness, this posture of vulnerability, and they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord rescued them. God created this new memory, which, which gave them a new victory, which brings me to my second point. To remember God's grace in our lives, we must remember that he gives victory to us in our present circumstances. Y'all, we, we, we cannot get lost here in this text in verse 9 to where we think the victory was just the Philistines being defeated. The real victory is what we see at the end of verse 9. It says, the Lord answered him. The Lord answered him. Through the means of prayer, the Lord answered Israel. Broken in this despair, they were, they were enemies of God, but, but now God has brought them near by the blood of the lamb, and the Lord answered them. Y'all, this lamb represents a victory for Israel and a victory for you. It was 2,000 years ago to where an innocent lamb was, was slain on our behalf. And his name was Jesus. He was a prophet. He was a priest. He was a king. He was sinless and without blemish. His body was beaten. His blood was, was poured out. And his body was sacrificed for you and I. As, as our enemies were coming towards us, a lamb was slain in your place. The lamb was slain for you. But unlike this lamb we see in this story, this lamb remained dead. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus got up out of the grave. Y'all, we, we serve a resurrected Savior who got up out of the grave. And whenever he got up, you got up. So that means that all of the things that you've been wrestling through, all those pains, all those memories, all of that sin, Jesus got up out of that grave and now you are victorious. Victorious. 
You are victorious. So Christian, it shouldn't matter what enemy is coming your way. It shouldn't matter what problem that you are facing. Because you have Jesus, you have victory. Y'all, there is power. Power in the name of Jesus. And I know that some of us right now, you are afraid right now. You're, you're not sure what to do that you're, with your marriage. You're not sure if it's going to continue. Uh, you're not sure what to do with your children right now. You're not sure about what you're going to do inside your retirement. You're anxious. Can I encourage you? That we have a Savior that hears us. God hears because the Lamb was slain. And when you call upon the name of Jesus, when you call upon him, he will hear you. You know, I heard this one preacher say, it says, sometimes you won't know the magnitude of Jesus until he solves the magnitude of your problem. So will you call on him? Call on the name of Jesus. Because when you do, you have the victory. You have the king of kings. You have the Lord of lords. You have, you have the God over all things on your side. And and these enemies, they stand not a chance. So in Christ, we not only receive a victory in our present circumstances, but we also receive, also he provides hope for the future, which brings me to my last point. To remember God's grace in our lives, we must remember that he gives hope for the future. Let's look at verse, verse 12. Afterwards, Samuel took a stone and set it up right between Mizpah and Shin, and he named it, Ebenezer, explaining, the Lord has helped us to this point. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israel's territory again. The Lord's hand was against the Philistines all of Samuel's life. The cities from Akron to Gath, which they had taken from Israel, were restored. Israel even um, rescued their surrounding territories from the Philistines' control. There was also peace between Israel and the Amorites, which is their other enemy, Samuel judged Israel through his life. Every year he would go, to, go on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah and, and would judge Israel at all these locations. Then he returned to Ramah because his home was there. He judged Israel there and he built an altar to the Lord. So what we can see here, just concluding this whole passage, is that God's hand was on Israel's life. His hand was on Israel's. They had a victory. They had a victory. Their enemies were overtaken. God's faithfulness in his presence was, was among his people, and they were walking in repentance. To remember this moment, it's the text says that they, that, that they set up, they set up, Samuel set up a, an Ebenezer. We sung this song just a little bit a while ago. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help thy come. And this Ebenezer is a reminder, is a reminder that God has helped us to this point. And he'll help us until he brings us up into glory. Because, because y'all, look at the text. It says, he helped us up into this point. Meaning that there's going to be more challenges. There's, there's, going, to be, there's, going, to be, there's going to be more battles for Israel. And there's going to be more battles for you. This idea, Ebenezer, if you break down what it means, it means stone of help. It, it was a decoration of, of saying, God, I know right now that things are going to be hard in the future. But right now, I want to raise up a stone of remembrance and remember that you have helped me. You have helped us. Us. These stones of remembrance, this reminds us 
of the bad. It reminds us that God replaces the bad memories and gives them with good memories. It reminds us of the time to where your marriage was restored. It reminds us of the time to where you had victory over sin. It reminds you of the time to where the Lord saved you. It reminds you of the time of your baptism. It reminds you of the time when your children came to faith. It reminds you of those times of God's faithfulness in your life. It reminds you. And y'all, in these moments, remind us that God is faithful right now, but will also be faithful for us in the future. But I want to close with, with this. Y'all, there's another Ebenezer moment that we need to remember in our lives. And that Ebenezer moment was on the cross. For the believer, your ultimate Ebenezer moment is the cross of Jesus. At the cross, we see the seriousness of our sin, the weight of God's glory, and God's generous helps to sinners. So whenever you're beaten down by life, you can look at the cross. Whenever you're overwhelmed by your problems, you can look at the cross. Whenever you feel threatened by the circumstances of your life, you can look at the cross. You can hold on because Jesus held on and he rose victorious and he defeated all your enemies. Y'all, but at the cross, he gives hope for the future. He gives hope for the future because there will be a day where there will be no more enemies. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more guilt. There'll be no more bad memories because you can't help but remember what God has done for you because you will be face-to-face with Jesus. With that, church, let me pray for us. Lord, we are grateful that by your grace, Lord, that you have laid a text out for us to help us to remember your grace in our lives. Lord, we just take a moment just to thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us and what you accomplished for us. Lord, and as we enter to this time of, of communion, Lord, help us to remember it was your blood, it was your body that, that was laid out for us. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you. Let me pray. Amen.